0: Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin.
1: What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That. My name is Grant. So good to have you here with us today. Hope life is treating you good. Hope you're doing well wherever you're at in the world, however you may be doing. I hope things are, are going pretty smooth for you right now. I'm actually, I'm feeling good today because we actually, we just moved to Nashville. We were getting settled into our new casa, loving the new place, loving the new digs and uh, excited to be here. So if you're in Nashville, if you're passing through Nashville, let me know, give me a shout and would love to, uh, love to meet you, love to say, hey, maybe we'll do a, I don't know, maybe we'll do a meet up here sometime. So that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun, but excited about today's guest. Today's guest is in fact uh, from Nashville, we we're talking to my buddy Rory. Vaden. Rory is a, uh, an author, a, a speaker, a podcaster, a, a consultant, business owner. The guy has his hand in a lot of different stuff and has a great story of just how he's built up this, his company, his organization how he has built his speaking career. And so we're going to get into all of that today. So uh, let's not waste any time. Let's get right after it. Actually, hang on, hang on. Before we do, let me just quickly remind you that uh, if you're interested, if you enjoy the interview, right afterwards, Rory and I hop back on the mic for just a couple minutes to do a little bonus Q&A, ask him a couple other questions. So if you enjoy the interview with Rory, I'd encourage you to stick around and you can download that. You can download that from the uh, the top of the show notes just within your phone. You can click that link that gives you the uh, opportunity to download the exclusive bonus content so you can do that again right from your phone or from the show notes page over at grantbaldwin.com all right now that that's out of the way let's get right into it here's my interview with Rory Vaden enjoy Greetings, my friends. Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? Today we are joined by Rory Vaden, who is a uh, speaker, author, consultant, got his hand in a bunch of different stuff. So excited to, to get into his story and journey today. So Rory, what is up, man? Welcome to the show.
0: Oh man! I'm, thank you for having me, Grant. I'm excited about this.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We were talking a little bit earlier. We had, we'd we'd cross paths uh, several years ago at a uh, a speaking engagement or a speaking event, and and uh, so we've both kind of been in, in the speaking world for a little while. But uh, for someone that may not be familiar with you, give us a little snapshot on your your business of what do you have going on.
0: Well, we are. You know, I'm the co-founder of Southwestern Consulting, and so we started that company nine years ago with four of us, and we now have 115 full-time team members and we do sales coaching and sales consulting and um, you know our business is is pretty much strictly sales and we have about nine hundred active coaching clients who are all salespeople and sales managers and then we do sales consulting for companies like some large companies directv Verizon cellular Bridgetone and then a lot of some, some small to medium-sized businesses and then, so it's kind of a three-legged stool. There's coaching, consulting, and then there's keynote speaking, right. which is, you know, we go out and speak at conferences and publish books. And so that's a big part of my world, as I speak at about 60 events a year. Wrote a book in called in 2012 called Take the Stairs, which is a New York Times bestseller, and then just launched a new book a couple weeks ago called Procrastinate on Purpose: Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. And so. You know, we do all of that and and basically our our mission is to help people achieve their goals in life.
1: So there's really no shortage of stuff that you have got you've got going on right now.
0: Yeah, that is true. I (laughs) mean we we, we have a lot going on, but really it it comes down to just a, a lot of different you know, mediums for helping specifically salespeople achieve their goals in life.
1: You know, I think there's a good example here of a lot of people would look at your story and where you're at today. And you've got a, you know, obviously a very successful business and career. You're speaking, you're writing, you're publishing, you're consulting, you're doing things that a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs and solopreneurs would like to do. So I think one of the things that we really try to approach in, in the show is it's easy to look at where you are today and think, dang, he's, you know, he's got this huge thing and this huge operation and huge company and all these employees and sales and yada yada. But it's, we oftentimes we miss the backstory of realizing like that that doesn't just magically happen. And so I want to get into that a little bit more. So walk us through uh, like what was life like growing up?
0: Well, the story I often tell is I was raised by a single mother and, you know, my mom sold Mary Kay cosmetics. And and so I was around women constantly who were always you know, talking about the principles of success, right? Um, and it also means that I know more about makeup than I do about cars. Uh, <laughs> Look, and I- I'm married with three little girls, so I-, I understand the world. Yeah. Yes. So you know, I got my start. I think just being being around and, and learning about that kind of stuff. And I literally was born in a trailer park and grew up in a trailer park and and different apartments. And then I introduced my mom to the man that she married, who is my dad. And there's a big, long story about how that happened. But And then I went to the University of Denver for college and graduate school, uh, Denver University, DU, dollars unlimited, as I like <laughs> to sometimes call it. And uh, after that, I got recruited to work for a company called Southwestern. And I worked for Southwestern Advantage for five summers. My undergraduate was accounting, and I was just kind of this nerdy, kid. But I worked in this program selling educational children's reference books door to door. That so sounds I went, glamorous. It was glamorous, man, working in the either the 100 degree heat or pouring down rain every day. Right. It felt like every summer for five summers, 14 hours a day, six days a week on straight commission, paying all of my own expenses and you know, selling door to door and the average student in the program makes about $8500 their first summer. And so I made $17,000 my first summer, which was almost as much as my mom had ever made in a, in a year. Yeah. And then I made over 50,000 or right around $50,000 each of the next four summers that I worked in the program. And so I made well over $200,000 in these five summers during college and graduate school selling books. Door to door, and I wasn't the number one salesperson. I was one of the top recruiters, and and was a a top salesperson. But then I left southwestern, and you know started pursuing professional speaking. And that was when I heard about Toastmasters. Yeah. And I joined Toastmasters. Entered a contest called the World Championship of Public Speaking. Mm -hmm. And basically, Grant, you know, it's twenty five thousand contestants from ninety different countries who compete for a chance to be called the World Champion of Public Speaking, and. And the first year I was in Toastmasters, I made it to the world championship, which is the top ten, and I lost. And then the next year, which was two thousand seven, I studied harder, got more coaching, invested more time in, you know, getting evaluations, watching video footage. And that was the year that I went back, made it all the way to the world championship. And that year I well, I lost again, but I lost higher. <laughs> <laughs> I came You're a sec- better loser. I was a better loser and I came in second in the world at twenty three years old. And that was about the time that we started Southwestern Consulting and you know Southwestern Consulting is is really the interesting story about you know how we got our start and and how we went from literally three of us who were all under the age of 24 and one other guy to you know four people saying we're going to be the greatest sales consulting company in the world to then being Becoming what we are we are today, which is a is a powerful team of of really amazing people that are really dedicated to helping clients.
1: Yeah, let's backtrack a little bit. You were saying that uh, so you're in college, you're doing that sales thing in the summer. Which uh, for a little while I worked in in straight commission sales, and it is a tough tough gig. But I, if you can make it doing that, and I, I did it for about a year or so, uh, if you can make it doing that, then you really find out what you, what you're made of in terms of your just your entrepreneurial chops. So when you're doing that, are you immediately recognizing the sales set and just gift that you have? Or is this just kind of like a uh, hindsight? You're, you're starting to notice it.
0: Mm. Well, going door to door was never easy for me. No, for sure. I wanted to quit almost every single day that I did it for five summers. And there's a couple reasons why I didn't. The number one being that I really recognized the value of the person I was becoming in the process of going door to door the, the biggest reason that I didn't quit after my first summer was just because I had a team out there that was counting on me and I knew what it would do for their lives if, if they followed the plan and they worked the system. And, and so I wouldn't, there's no way I would ever really considered quitting because I wouldn't quit on them, even though I kind of wanted to. And so I don't know that selling was natural for me. I, I still have a very big, hesitancy about the idea of talking people into things sure and forcing them to do something that they don't like they don't want to do or they don't need and but i learned the valuable skills of sales and certainly learned the principles and the character traits of overcoming rejection and, and doing that kind of a thing
1: yeah, it's, it's, the sales is definitely one of those things. If you can sell something, then you can, you can always find work and you can always create work for yourself as well. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely a, a valuable skill set in anything that anybody does. So you do that for five years. And it sounds like that that's just kind of a uh, just paying the bills. And it's kind of a means to an end, not necessarily a long term plan. Where did the interest in, in speaking come from? Was that something that you'd always kind of aspired to or just kind of assume that that was the next mm-hmm. step in the journey after college? Or, or what were you thinking?
0: Well, it is kind of a unique story because speaking is something I always wanted to do. And here's what it was. I was in sixth grade at Platt Middle School. Yes, that's shout out PMS. Platt middle (laughs) school. (laughs) That's great. I am at PMS. I'm sitting there and I didn't really like the school. I was only there for a short time. And but I remember they brought in this speaker. It wasn't quite the Grant Baldwin, but it was, you know, a guy who comes in to talk to middle schoolers. And I just remember that this guy was he had this horrible story of getting into a gang, doing drugs, stealing stuff. And then, like, his friends start dying from overdoses or getting shot. And, and you know, the whole thing was supposed to be about like make good choices, just which is
1: traumatizing.
0: I, I appreciate it. <laughs> but, you know, but he was really, he was funny. And, and I was like, a- after he did that, I, I remember walking out going, That's cool. I wonder how you get that job. Yeah. And I said, uh, Not even that job. I just said, I, I wonder how you get to do that. Well, so that was the very first time the thought crossed my mind. I remember it vividly, right? Because this is this has been a, an intentional journey for me. So then when I got to high school, I was on student senate at my very first year. And, and one of the things that I was in charge of was planning the like you know, mid-year conference or whatever. And I think we paid the speaker maybe $1,500. Yep. When I saw that that at the time was so much money to me and I was like you got to be kidding me. These guys get paid to do this? Really? This guy's going to get 1500 bucks to come in here for an hour? And I think that was the day I decided that this was what I was going to spend my life doing. Little did I know how much even more upside there is to really, you know, becoming great at this craft and serving people. And so anyways, that happened and then when I was at Southwestern, they did training events for us throughout the year. And I remember when I was 19 years old, coming back after my first summer, my very first training event, there was a guy named Eric Chester who they had hired. And Eric was from Boulder, Colorado, which was where I was born. And Eric does this amazing speech. And in his speech, he mentions that he has a son who is currently attending the University of Colorado at Boulder, which was a campus that I was recruiting at. And so I go up to Eric afterwards and I said, look, one day I want to do what you do, but right now I need your son's phone number so that I can call him and recruit him to come sell books with me. <laughs> and Eric introduced me to Zach and I met Zach and Zach came and sold for two summers and Zach was an amazing guy. He's a great guy and he's gone on to be very successful in advertising. And so I recruited Zach and, 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 Zach and I became friends, and basically Eric started mentoring me. And so I was sitting down with Eric, and he was the one who told me about Toastmasters. And, and Eric set me on a course because he said, Rory, the difference between a good speaker and a great speaker is 1,000 speeches. And so – and So and true. His, And here's what he did, Grant. This is how he laid it out. So Eric, Eric is a Hall of Fame speaker. He's a C.P.A.E. C.S.P. certified speaking professional. I mean, he speaks, you know, to thousands of people at a time, and really in the media, and and just amazing guy. Author, and you know, one of my best buddies now. And I've always admired Eric. But the way that it, it first happened, our first meeting, is he looks at me, Grant, and he goes, "Rory, I will agree to mentor you." But it's pretty much under one condition. And I was like, anything, whatever, like, what do you want? And he said, You have to do what I say. He's like, I'm not going to waste my time giving you advice if you don't do what I say. And I said, I will do it. And so, and he goes, Okay, good. And then he says, The difference between a good speaker and a great speaker is 1,000 speeches. And he looks at me and he says, go out and do 1,000 speeches. <laughs> and after you've done that, come back and I will give you step two.
1: I, it's like a karate kid uh, scene yeah, or something.
0: It's totally karate kid. And so I really t- you know, took it seriously. And so I joined like four different Toastmaster clubs. I started speaking in churches, in high schools, anywhere. And this was all for free. Well, I ended up doing th- like 304 speeches for free before I ever really got paid and you know I was doing the world championship so that was really my focus was because you know I was 22 years old going why would anybody listen to me like what have I earned the right to talk about and you know looking back now go after selling door to door is like I had every right to talk about small business and sales and rejection and persistence and financial management I mean at a young age I learned all of the things that entrepreneurs sometimes, unfortunately, takes them decades to learn. But you know, I my thought was, hey, I need some more credibility, so I I did this world championship thing, and that was really how I got to start as a, as a speaker, and that's kind of how that happened.
1: That's so true, though. Like what Eric said, as as people ask me a lot, you know, how do I become a speaker? How do you get good at speaking? I was like. I don't know that there's any magic formula as much as just you do it a lot. And so that may be the first time that you've heard that story. But I've told that story hundreds and hundreds of times. So I know where the punchline is. And I know how to take you on a journey and keep you with me. And I know, you know, how to make it kind of ebb and flow with the rest of the talk and make a point out of it. And so yeah, so much of that just comes from experience. And I think that's just that's not true to just speaking, but that's true with anything is that how do you get good at something? You do it a lot. So I guess the question would become then, whether it be speaking or anything, is is if I got to do something a thousand times or that, or the 10,000 hour rule from a Malcolm Gladwell, how do I actually not get discouraged in the process? Why wouldn't I want to give up? Or how do I avoid, I guess, giving up in that process?
0: Well, that's really what the Take the Stairs book is all about. I mean, Take the Stairs is a metaphor for doing the things we know we should be doing, even when we don't feel like doing them. And how do you get yourself to do that? And that is, you know, that is what that book is about. And one of the principles in there is called the paradox principle of sacrifice. And it basically says that the amount of our endurance is directly proportionate to the clarity of our vision. If we have a crystal clear picture of what we want for our life and for our future, then there is a naturally strong connection to the sacrifices that we're asking ourselves to make today. That creates a context for which action can take place and so our discipline engages almost automatically our motivation engages almost automatically however if you have a cloudy picture of what you want for your life or there is you don't spend much time thinking about it then there is at best a convoluted connection to how the sacrifices you're asking yourself to make today forward you to some future that you care about. So there is no context for action, and it becomes hard for any of us to sort of motivate ourselves, and virtually impossible to motivate somebody else. So, you know, the media refers to me frequently as a self-discipline strategist. My whole area of study is on the psychology of overcoming procrastination and how to do things you don't feel like doing, and increase your self-discipline, i.e. take the stairs, which is obviously the, the, the where the, the whole metaphor is, is built on. Sure. And you know, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, "Well, Rory, I've always struggled with self-discipline in my life." And I just struggle with discipline in this area or that area. And typically, that's not true. The truth is that you don't struggle from a lack of discipline as much as you struggle from a lack of vision. Discipline is inside all of us. I don't even think it's something that you have to build or grow. And it's not a resource. You know, people think of it as somehow like a resource that gets depleted over time. That I don't believe that's what discipline is. What I believe is that discipline becomes dormant in the absence of a dream discipline becomes dormant in the absence of a dream. And so the problem is is you don't have a discipline problem. You have a dream problem. You don't see it clearly or you don't spend enough time thinking about it or you don't see the connection to how the activities that you're doing today forward you towards that, that focus, towards that pursuit that you have. And so for me, I always had this very clear vision. I mean, I'll be speaking... To an audience of three thousand people next week, out of twelve hundred people this past Sunday, like those, that's not a surprise to me. I saw that over and over and over in my mind, and long before it ever happened. And so, work, work is just the natural byproduct of having a very clear. Vision. Let me jump in on that because there's a lot
1: of people that reach out to me who listen to the show who would say, "Grant, I, I don't I don't love what I do, I don't hate what I do, I just I don't know what I'd rather be doing instead, and I just I don't even know what that dream or that vision could be, and I don't even know how to begin to find that. So, what would you say to someone like that that may be listening, going, "Man, I'm I'm willing to put in the work, I'm willing to be disciplined, I'm willing to take the stairs, if only I had some idea of where those stairs are going. So, how do I find that that dream or that vision to have some type of perspective of where?" I'm headed.
0: Well, truthfully, this is what I would say. Go to RoryVadenblog.com. And when you go to RoryVadenblog.com, there will be a search bar on the on the right hand side. And in that search bar, just type 20 what's to find your why. 20 what's to find your why because we get this question so much and it's been such a challenge for people and such an issue for them. I wrote a blog post called 20 What's to Find Your Why and that is the, it's 20 what questions that if you, you go through this exercise and you answer these what questions, you will find your why. So it's like, what kind of office environment do you want to work in? What kind of people do you want to be around? all that kind of stuff. Let me ask you this, because I think
1: you know, there's a lot of those good questions that are out there in a variety of different formats. And a lot of people, sometimes we just kind of mentally will breeze through a list of those questions and say, okay, yeah, I think I want to be in this. I think I want to be in that. But we don't really take the time to really zone in and, and I guess hone in on what it is that we're actually looking for. So how do we get ourselves, to, from adult, I guess from a self discipline standpoint, how do we get ourselves to really sit down and process these types of what questions rather than just kind of giving them a cursory glance
0: well I think the real thing is thinking about at the end of your life if you looked back what is something you would be proud of what is something you would you would be proud of you know having spent your life doing and that's the big question and so I think if you just spend time thinking about that and you say what do I enjoy doing here's what I do with speakers so whenever I'm coaching a speaker I create this thing that I kind of loosely refer to as like the the brand flower. And if you were just going to take a piece of paper and you you draw a flower and it has like petals and they're just circles, each petal represents a different question that I ask them. And the one question is, what are you passionate about? You make a list of the things you're passionate about. And then the next question is, what have you earned the right to talk about? In other words, what do you have credibility in? And you make a list of that. Then the the third question is like, what problem do I solve? The fourth question is, You know, what is my educational background in? And then the fifth question is, you know, you just go you go around like that and you start asking who are people that would be willing to pay for my message? And then basically at the intersection in the middle of all of those, the answer to all those questions on the outside at the intersection in the middle, that is what you should be doing.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Well, uh, cause I think, again, I think there's just a lot of people who are going, you know, I, if someone would just tell me what I should be doing, it would make it a lot simpler. And I think it's just important for people to realize, like, sometimes it's just, you, you have to sit, there is no magic bullet. There is no well, easy answer. You know, that sometimes you, you have to sit down and you have to do that processing and, and no one else can really do that for you.
0: Yeah, you have to. Well, and here's the thing. What do you love doing? Right? Like, what do you love doing? like quit your excuse about I need someone to tell me or I can't find it or I just don't understand or if I knew it would be better. That's a bunch of crap. Like what do you enjoy doing? And then whatever it is you love doing, get good enough at it that people will pay you to do it. I mean, in the world we live today, you can build a platform, right? Like with social media and podcasting and online products and digital marketing and all this stuff, there's no barriers to doing that. And that's why it's like, You know, people who are chefs, they love cooking, they become chefs. People who love sports, like they become athletes or they become people who are, are, are sports broadcasters or they're sports agents, right? Like, what do you love doing? What would you do for free all day, every day? Like, that's what you should do.
1: And I think that's kind of probably how we both got into speaking of just going, this is this is a lot of fun. And then we, I think we both had those light bulb moments of when you you saw what someone was getting paid, or even the first time you got paid, and whether it was a couple hundred bucks or a $1,000, just this mind-blowing experience. Like, I would totally do this for free, but I cannot believe that they were willing to pay me for it. So looking for those types of opportunities where you have kind of those eureka moments. So once you start doing the, the speaking, was it just kind of a snowball effect from there, especially once you were? In the the world championships within Toastmasters, where you started to, to find more engagements.
0: Well, I mean, I have yet to find the magic thing that if you do it, your inbox just floods with requests. Right. You know, to, to be speaking, sure, and it's like so. We've done the world championship. I have become a CSP, which is you know the National Speakers Association highest professional designation. Yep. I have written a New York Times bestseller. We have you know a multi million dollar company and still today the way that we get speaking gigs is by picking up the phone and making phone calls
1: so true yep yep again there's no shortcut there's no special saucer uh... gotta take
0: the stairs baby
1: <laughs> we keep coming back to that somehow so uh, let me ask you this you've got this this new book that just came out recently uh, procrastinate on purpose give us that kind of an overview and the uh, what the concept is for that book
0: Mm. Well, the subtitle kind of really explains what the book is about. It's the subtitle is "Procrastinate on Purpose: Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time." And there are you know, two key differences in the book, which are we never thought we would write a productivity book. We never had that in our game plan, mm-hmm. and yet we started looking at for our coaching clients what is their biggest problem and the biggest the number one challenge is like how do you keep up with everything and so we really started analyzing and thinking about it and, and studying it and we found there's two major two major things that have been completely ignored and just radically messed messed up and missed in every productivity book ever written and the first one is that everything you read about time management is all about tips and tricks tools and technology to calendars and checklists right to like help you do things faster. Mm-hmm. And it's all logical. Well, what we've come to figure out is that time management is no longer just logical. It's emotional. And our feelings of guilt and fear and worry, and anxiety, and our need to feel valued, and successful, and important, our emotions dictate how we spend our time as much as anything else. And if you can't get emotional control of like, the ability to say no, you will never be able to multiply your time, because you will constantly be falling victim to everybody else's priorities, and never to doing the things you know you should be doing. So really, procrastinating on purpose, first of all, is about the emotional side of time management. And then the second thing, is that it's about multiplying time, not managing time by doing things efficiently and not prioritizing your time because prioritizing is, you know, working efficiently is valuable and prioritizing is valuable. But here's the thing. Even though we throw that word prioritizing around like it's the end-all, be-all of all time management problems, it's really not because there's nothing inherently about prioritizing that creates more time. All prioritizing does is take item number seven in your to-do list and it bumps it up to number one. Right. Well, that, that's not how the world's most successful people think necessarily. Not just that. There's a lot more to it than that. You know, multipliers make something that we call the significance calculation. And the significance calculation is how you multiply time. The, the significance calculation is about thinking longer term it's not just making decisions on urgency and importance. Most of the world only thinks about urgency and importance. And so they're constantly in this frenetic chase every day where they're so busy. They're, they're frantically chasing their tails, trying to keep their inbox at zero. And, you know, even their to-do list is, is made by saying, what's the most important thing I can do today? Well, that's not what multipliers do. Multipliers Ask a different question. It's a question of significance. And in one sentence, the way that you multiply time is you multiply time by giving yourself the emotional permission to spend time on things today that create more time for you tomorrow
1: which is difficult to i guess in some ways isn't that difficult to quantify though cuz it's not like something that a lot of us we we like doing the checklist because i can i can mark something off i can check a box i can scratch through something and feel like i'm making progress whereas i'm thinking significance long term it's a little more difficult to put into the fit into my my pretty little notepad or my checklist
0: well i would say what you said about the checklist thing is very true and you know most of us have confused activity with productivity and sure. you know a multiplier would say success has nothing to do with the volume of tasks that you complete but the significance of them and that's a big shift for a lot of us and so but i would not agree that it's not quantifiable and in fact in procrastinate on purpose if in, in and uh, there's a free webinar if you go to procrastinateonpurpose.com there is a, a free 1-hour webinar that explains like the whole kind of thought process behind the book but it's very quantifiable. In fact, a big part of how we make the case about how multipliers are different from everyone else is we use, we use empirical examples. So here's just a really simple like microcosm of an example. Like to the average person, if I said, hey, do you have an extra two hours in your calendar today that you could set up online bill pay? The average person would go, "No, I don't have 2 hours open today. I have a million meetings and I have all these emails and if if I do have time open, I'm not going to use it to set up online bill pay." Sure. Most of us are governed by the urgent. We are victims of the tyranny of the urgent, you know, to use Charles Hummel's phrase from his 1967 essay. And yet a multiplier says, "Well, wait a minute. If I spend 2 hours today setting up online bill pay, And that saves me 30 minutes a month when it comes to paying my bills. Then in four months, I'm going to break even on that investment of time. And every month thereafter, I'm going to get something that we call in the book R-O-T-I, return on time invested. And so every month after that fourth month, you are now making time. And one of the catchphrases from Pop is we say that automation is to your time exactly what compounding interest is to your money.
1: Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, I got a couple other questions on the book. And one of the things that you address and one of the things that you talk about, you talk about this idea of procrastinating on purpose. But then you also in a previous book talk about taking the stairs and taking responsibility. So uh, I want to talk about the I don't know this that kind of weird dichotomy between those. So we're going to talk about that in the bonus round. uh, So I'd encourage people to stick around and uh, check that out. So Rory, in the meantime, where can we find out more about you? Where can we check out uh, some of these books and information that you've given us?
0: Yeah. Well, I've, I mentioned a couple places already, but I would, I would say you should start by going to Procrastinateonpurpose.com, Watch the free webinar and you know, you could check that out. And then, you know, from there you can get connected to my blog. The other website that I mentioned earlier is my blog and I, it's of course free. I post three times a week in my podcast. So Rory Vadenblog.com is where you can get all that.
1: Good stuff, man. All right. We'll, we'll see you over in the bonus round. Sounds good. All right, boys and girls, hope you enjoyed that interview with Rory Vaden. Uh, really good stuff there. Love uh, what he's up to, how he's built his, his speaking career, his consulting business, and then a couple of those great books where we talked about uh, take the stairs and procrastinate on purpose and just taking ownership, taking responsibility of your life. And you know, one of the things that I think is really important for people to realize is that being successful and building your own thing and, and having a successful career, business, life, marriage, fill in the blank, whatever it is, it's really hard work. It's not easy. And that's why I love the title of, of that book from Rory, uh, Take the Stairs, of, of just taking ownership, of taking responsibility. And if you decide that you you don't like your life, if you decide that your, your life is headed in a direction that you don't want to be going in, then the person that has the ability to change that is you. My favorite stories I like to tell is uh, a couple years ago I was on a flight. And it was a, uh, I think it was a Southwest flight and the flight attendant goes through their whole safety spiel. And at the end of their safety spiel, the flight attendant says this, she says, thanks for flying with us. Have a great flight or don't. It's up to you. (laughs) And initially as someone who's been on a lot of planes before and heard a lot of these spiels, I was kind of thinking, well, that's new. (laughs) I don't know that, uh, I don't know that I've heard that before, but it's so true. Like you have a choice to make. And everything that you do, if you don't like your job, if you don't like your career, if you don't like the trajectory or the path that your life is on, then the person that has the ability to change that is you. So even as Rory said, quit whining about it, quit crying, quit making excuses, just pick your life up. And if you decide to do something different, then you are the one that has the ability to make that happen. So again, I'd encourage you to download the bonus material and bonus content that we cover there with Rory, really good stuff there. Uh, as always, feel free to email me, grant at com. You can hit me up on Twitter. And if you like the show, I'd love for you to subscribe, love for you to leave us a rating or review within uh, iTunes or Stitcher, really means a lot, really appreciate it. So we've got some more great episodes coming at you next week, so uh, make sure that you don't miss out on. We got some good stuff coming at you. We'll talk to you again soon. You're awesome.
0: Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.